good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, coming to you from the uh, studio at Coming Home Network International, Central Ohio, but uh, really by the uh, uh, by the, the very generosity of EWTN Radio, over which you're hearing us. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's beckoning to us in those words to, to, to not just listen to him once or twice, but to continue and to listen to him and to follow him. But not just to follow him in whatever direction we choose or uh, you know what may sound good to us on one given day or the next, but to, to, to follow what is true. He says, to continue in my word and you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And deep in scripture, that's our goal, is to, dis- to study the word of God to listen to what Jesus wants to teach us, but to make sure that we're not only limiting what we are studying and learning and following from our individual perspectives, because we might be blind to some of the prejudices that uh, are there shaping our attitudes, our ability to hear. Recently was wearing one of those Bose headsets that you turn on and it and it, it completely blanks out all the external noise. I wear one of those big headsets when I cut the cut my large lawn. But the some of us have essentially theological headsets on that we we blind ourselves to other perspectives. And maybe we think we're in the truth, but are we really hearing what Jesus intends for us to hear from his word? And that's why on this program we're committed to studying his word through the teacher that he gave us through which we receive the word in the first place, and that is the church. Our guest for this evening is a good friend, Jim Pinto. And if you go to the Deep in Scripture website, deepinscripture.com, you'll see his picture and a bit of a bio. Jim was, he's been in, in some form of ministry for 30-plus years, he's um, in all the details are there on the website, and I encourage you to go there. He is a, a convert to the Catholic Church. He served for, uh, I'm looking real quickly at the fine print on the website, a number of years as a, uh, an Anglican priest and in the Birmingham area, and he came into the church. Oh, I saw that on the website here. I probably should have had it summarized. He uh, came into the church in, I think, just a little after 2000. Maybe Jim, you're hearing me now. You can correct me. Well, there you are. Came into the church in 2003, and you had been a priest in the Anglican tradition for over 20 years. Now, the reason I'm uh, uh, just jumping around the website here, because Jim is so busy. It is amazing. The Lord has not closed very many doors to using Jim's gifts since he's come home to the Catholic Church. He's the pastoral associate with Priests for Life and National Coordinator for the Missionaries of the Gospel of Life. On the Deep in Scripture website, there's a link to Priests for Life where he serves, and on that website, there is a link to a great many apostolates that Jim is involved with. Jim is very committed to serving Jesus 
He surrendered to Christ, both he and his wife. And a part of that is particularly focused around defending life. And I'm sure that will come out in our discussion tonight. Tonight, And, and so it isn't uh, a surprise that when I asked him what passage he'd like to study tonight, he uh, uh, chose John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And anyone who's opened the Gospel of John, of course, you begin through this portal, and you begin through this wonderful portal of, of uh, deep uh, expression about the intimacy of Jesus Christ with the Father. And you see the intimacy that's there between Jesus and us. And it's expressed in that passage. Verses 1 through 14 are like an introduction to the entire Christian faith because there's so much in those passages, but Jim and I will will talk about that tonight. If you'd like to be involved with this program, we'd love to, for you to give us a call. You can do so. 1-800-664-5110 or you can Call us also at 740-450-1175. Send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. If you do call or contact, we'll try and get you on the get your question on the air. If you'd like to watch this program, you can go to the website, deepinscripture.com, and click the link and, and watch it on the website. Before we take a break, let me read the passage, and then John will jo- uh, Jim will join us right after the break to talk about why this particular passage wasn't so inspiring in encouraging him to follow his Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony, to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, And his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 7th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year we will begin on the rock looking to understand the question of authority, the pillar and bulwark of truth. 
Join us the weekend of October 23rd as we bring together another exciting list of speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and I'm joined tonight by Jim Pinto. Hello, Jim. How are you this evening? I'm doing fine, Marcus. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you and all of our precious listeners. Well, it's great to to uh, get together with you here. You're down in Birmingham, where I usually fly now at least once a month, though I used to come three or four times a month to do the Journey Home program. Now I'm only making that trip once a month temporarily until we make some other arrangements. But, but uh, Jim, uh, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. I feel like I muffed it in the beginning because there's so much to tell, I think, about your life. But uh, let the audience know a little bit more about you. Well, uh, my wife is Joy, and Joy and I dated for six years and we've been married for 32 years now and we have four children and 11 grandchildren and uh, we grew up uh, in Hudson County I grew up in North Bergen and Joy grew up in uh, Guttenberg New Jersey right in between the George Washington Bridge and Lincoln Tunnel so we really grew up as youngsters together and experienced the radical conversion uh, to Christ about five years into our relationship I actually am a revert. I was uh, baptized in the Catholic Church and uh, was really not catechized properly. Uh, and also, you know, I, I own my own sinfulness, I guess, in uh, maybe not wanting to hear at times. Uh, but uh, wandered away from the Church for about 33 years, but was radically converted in uh, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama, in about 1976, experienced a radical conversion to Christ, and uh, a short time after my conversion, uh, the girl I was dating, Joy, who is now my wife, was <laughs> also converted, and uh, went back to school at Newark State College, where I was a health and phys ed major, and uh, felt a call to go into the ministry, and uh, went off to Trinity Episcopal School for the ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, an evangelical mm -hmm. Anglican Seminary, wonderful place. Mm -hmm. uh, went there for about three years and was invited back down to Alabama. Alabama was the place of my conversion in 76, was invited back down in Alabama 7980 uh, to work as a layman. Then I worked as uh, a deacon, then uh, a priest, and then as the rector of that parish. I ministered in one parish for 22 years oh, in a wow. town called Fairfield, Alabama. I still live uh, in this community, so I've been here 30 years now with my <laughs> wife and family, growing family. And, uh, you know, we, we're in a predominantly African-American community, about 95% African-American, and uh, been very involved in working in this community, uh, racial reconciliation and pro-life work. And uh, so it's been a wonderful place for us. Uh, we're transplants uh, here, obviously, but uh, it really has become home for us. Well, you work for an organization called Priests for Life, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but it almost sounds a bit um, like a redundancy because, I mean, in fact, shouldn't every Catholic priest be committed for life? Yes, and... and uh, we I don't mean don't committed for life in terms of yes. being sent into uh, prison, <laughs> right. but committed to um, the values of life. That's a given as a Catholic. Yes, and uh, that is not something we dispute. Uh, within, within the Catholic Church, uh, there are various associations and communities and societies. You have a group like Sisters of Charity. 
Yeah. Well, isn't every Catholic for charity? <laughs> but and so it's not saying no. Uh, we're not saying that others aren't for charity. We're talking about a particular charism that some people are really exhibiting to help renew the church in that particular virtue, that particular charism. So priests for life is not calling into question whether or not priests stand for life. What we're trying to do is really hold up a great beacon, light, fire uh, before the clergy and before deacons to better equip them for the work of the ministry, to train them. And also priests for life, right from the beginning, had many, many lay people that were right on board with the gospel of life. And so we focus on equipping all of God's people, or equipping the saints, so to speak, for the work of the ministry. So it's a real equipping ministry. We believe that every Christian is called to be a missionary of the gospel of life, and they're sent by God to evangelize the world. So we want to give them the tools to get on with that great ministry. Well said, Jim. I mean, uh, it's always a problem for all of us. Uh, We're busy with families to keep all the, the juggling balls in the air you know when we're trying to focus on life balance our life and sometimes things about our faith we take for granted and this issue of life is one of those that many people think will take care of itself but it can't it takes the commitment of all of us but it does take people up in front like you and the rest of your organization to remind those especially in leadership about this important call in this day and age Yes. And, uh, you know, I I think it's a message. I mean, the gospel of life is a message of uh, the fundamental right to life, and we call every individual and every group in society to respect that right. Uh, But it's also a lifestyle. And so what we try to communicate, especially in a particular association of priests to life that I head up called the Missionaries of the Gospel of Life, that being pro-life is a lifestyle uh, where You're looking for the face of Jesus in every human being, beginning with yourself, your spouse, your children, those at the workplace, those at school, your friends and your enemies, that this is a lifestyle for all the days of your life, reverencing uh, the mysterious presence of Jesus Christ in every human being. And I think that's something that we're all called to be about. All right, Jim. You chose John 1, 1 through 14 for this evening. Uh, there's lots of passage you could have chosen. Uh, you know, what was your reasoning for choosing this for your own uh, as a verse that really encouraged you to follow Jesus? Well, you know, I can't. Uh, you read it so beautifully, Marcus, and uh, just hearing it or looking at it for me takes my breath away. Uh, Any time I read, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then down to verse 14. And the word, that Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. For me, this is my adult conversion passage. So as I said earlier, I was baptized in the church, and I believe at that time I was born again by water and the Spirit through that uh, sacrament of baptism as a little infant, Uh, But, you know, I believe, and I believe the Church teaches, we also need an adult conversion. We need to embrace the faith for ourselves. Some people ask me, you know, why did you uh, wander away from the Catholic Church? And I've done a lot of pondering about that, and now that, uh, 
you know, I'm back uh, to the Catholic faith after six years uh, of uh, being uh, you know, away, from, you know, years of being away from the church and being in the you know, Protestant expression. Those years were not a wasteland for me. They were really wonderful years in a lot of ways. But the reason I wandered away from the Catholic Church, I believe, was because I was not converted. Now, I may have been born again by water in the Spirit uh, as an infant, but that doesn't negate the fact that I had to embrace Jesus Christ. And so this passage in particular, uh, when I heard this passage, and the Bible was not something that I was all that familiar with, uh, actually the first time I really was getting in touch with this passage, a friend of mine had gotten involved with the Jehovah Witnesses, and uh, this, this passage came up, oh, sure. and, they, and their teaching was that, uh, that Jesus was like a God, but he wasn't the God. He wasn't God. That Jesus was um, you know, human. He couldn't really be God. He was great in many ways, so you can call him a God, but he wasn't God. It was really confusing. I knew enough from my Catholic upbringing that I, and I would make the sign of the cross, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so it sounded strange to me that I believe in the the Father and the man and the active force, because that's the way they see the Holy Spirit. He's not a member of the Trinity, but a power. So I really had to struggle with this passage, and I'm not sure that I can unpack everything grammatically or, or linguistically, but as I studied this passage, uh, in the beginning was the Word, this Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Uh, it became clearer and clearer to me as I studied this passage that it was speaking about this Logos, mm -hmm. this Word, being in the beginning. And we think back to the book of, of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God spoke and it came into being and so on. Well, this is, there's no mistaking here that John 1, 1 through 14 and, and the Genesis passage are linked together to say that this Word was not created he was in the beginning already. When that beginning began, he was there. He was pre-existent, and then it says he was with God, and here's the communio, the fellowship. This Logos was in communion with God from all time, and the Word was God. And, and what it's saying, there's no need, if my understanding is correct, I believe it is, grammatically, that there has to be uh, the God there. It's clear yeah. that, that God and the Word are connected here. At other portions of Scripture, it does have references to Jesus as uh, the God, but um, it's not necessary to make the connection. It's very clear from the whole passage that, that uh, he was preexistent, he was in communion with God, and what God was, he was. And yes, there might also be a distinction between God and the Word. As a matter of fact, there should be, because as the Church unpacks it again, we believe in, in three persons, one divinity, one God, one in essence. And so here we see what, what the Word was, you know, God is in terms of divinity, in terms of essence, or as it said, homoousios in the Greek, of the same substance, God's stuff, yet he is distinct from God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. So for me, my key struggle was, was Jesus just a teacher, a miracle worker, uh, one who reforms our lives, or was Jesus God with skin? God made poor, 
God with a face. And I struggled with this passage, and, and it was in Montgomery, Alabama one night. Uh, I accompanied my girlfriend, who would become my wife, Joy. She was going to be in a wedding down in Montgomery, and so I accompanied her. We still weren't married at that point. And I was struggling with this passage, and I was sleeping there on a the couch, and, and uh, it's too long of a story. But I, you know, I, at that point, I wouldn't say that I believed in Jesus unless I really believed that he was God incarnate. And finally, I was convinced through John 1, uh, this prologue, that Jesus, in fact, was not only a prophet, a teacher, a miracle worker, but that, that he tabernacled among us, as it says later on in the scripture, that he assumed that this Logos that was preexistent, always with God, who is of the same essence of God, now has assumed uh, hum- a human form and, uh, and, and came among us. And when I realized that, I finally said, I believe in you, Jesus. And when I said that, you know, I meant, I believe you are God, and anything you say, I will do. Now, I wish I could say I really followed through on that in every way, but I, I meant that. That was my commitment. But anything you say, so for me, this scripture brought me into a true encounter with Jesus as God incarnate, God with skin, God made poor, and the Spirit of God came on me in a way and stirred up, I believe, my infant baptism and made it very alive to me. I was converted. I was being saved. Um, so this passage is, well, is, the key. is my For conversion, it's the key, it's my life passage, and so it radically transformed my life, it led me into, uh, uh, it cleansed my sexuality, uh, it, it established joy and, and me uh, in the realm of chastity, uh, it, it had me change, change my job because I felt morally compromised in the job that I was doing, it radically transformed my life, and then of course it's led me into various ministries that we could speak about, but the, but the passage itself, uh, sure. that, that was the key, God incarnate, uh, and, and then, of course, John's great witness, you know, in this passage, too, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light uh, that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness to the light, and the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. You know, John's role, I mean, John's yeah. another person I can't wait to, to meet, <laughs> you know, if I get to heaven. I just want to want to be with him. John was a, a man like Jesus in that, you know, he was totally abandoned. John wasn't about John. John was about Jesus. And Jesus wasn't about Jesus. Jesus was about the Father. And the Father isn't about the Father. The Father's about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit isn't about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's about Jesus, and Jesus is about the Father. So John really shows us, again, another yeah. person like this. And he is, you know, I, I, I'm just the best man. I'm not the groom. And I think he is a real example for me, for all of our listeners, whether they're Protestant or Catholic or or clergy or lay, that we are all called, in a sense, to be prophetic. We are called uh, by our baptism, whether adult baptism or infant baptism, to be a part of that prophetic calling to be witnesses. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not serving as a minister any longer or as a priest. I, it was very difficult for me to find my way after 22 years of ministry, and I finally had to say to myself, hey, I haven't lost the calling to be a witness, to bear witness to the light. This will never stop. And when I try to hold it in, as the prophet says, it burns in me like a fire. So 
no matter what stage or phase of life we're in or ordained or lay, or we were once ordained or we're not. Now, I'm called to be a John. You're called to be a John to bear witness with all of your life and in your sufferings and in your death to the light. You're not the light, but you are called as a human being to bear witness to the light. Which is, um, in, let, let me just ahead, point, yeah. or just encouraging that, uh, is that, that one of the pieces of Scripture that the church has uh, strongly encouraged us every one of us to pray every day is a, a part of Luke chapter 1 called the Benedictus. Mm. It is the, a part of the invitic, um, invitatory of the Liturgy of the Hours. Yes. So every bishop, priest, religious, deacon yes. who prays the, the uh, office every day is basically told in morning prayer, in, excuse me, Benedictus part of morning prayer, to pray the Benedictus. And right. the reason I mention that is that a part of the Benedictus, this was the song of Zechariah, yeah. when he was looking at um, and recognizing the birth of John the Baptist, mm -hmm. he right. makes the statement, and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, if you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the yeah. salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins. Yes. The point is that every one of us in that recognizes that we are to be that light today Yes. when we pray the Benedictus. That's the yes. point. Yes. Every one of us is yes. a child called to be the prophet of the Most High, imitating and following in the witness of John the Baptist as we see portrayed here in the passage you've chosen. Yeah. Now, Jim, we're going to take a break. Okay. And what I want, when we come back, um, and you've got a wonderful summary, both of the passage as well as its impact on your own journey. I would like to also take a moment, though, to point out, and you, you, you kind of uh, certainly uh, drew our attention to the fact that there are others that take this passage to mean something differently. And the point is, John 1, 1 through 14, in all of its uh, you know, amazing um, depth is a great example of why it must be interpreted in the eyes of the church. Mm -hmm. Because you talked about the Jehovah Witnesses. Yes. Right? Right. It's just the Arian heresy all over again. Right. It's the early heresies of people who were trying to take a passage like John 1 through 14 and make sense out of it, out of their own intellect. Right. rather than listening through the wisdom of the church. Mm -hmm. So we'll, let's dig back into the passage to point out a few passages that really we must see through the lenses of the church to fully understand their meaning for our lives. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I am joined tonight by Jim Pinto. We're looking at John chapter 1. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network next time on Mother Angelica Live Classics. When the words of a prayer or doctrine are changed, it can seem subtle on the surface, but many times a substantial change has occurred. Join Mother as she takes a look at inclusive language. That's on the next Mother Angelica Live Classics, only on EWTN. Mother Angelica Live Classics is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. 
Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined by Jim Pinto. We're looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Jim, let me read a few of those verses because, you know, we now, I mean, the Lord used the Holy Spirit to awaken you to the, the depth of this verse, maybe just giving you a glimpse into it that opened your heart to the graces of Jesus Christ. And now, years later, you're still growing in that grace. And so we read these passages through the lenses of experience of grace. But if, if you've not had that, and if you're hearing this for the first time, or let's say you come from a perspective when you don't want anything Catholic, or like the founders of our nation, a few of them were very anti-Trinitarian. So how do you understand this passage? You know, to me, that's why it's important to read this within the, the light of the church. You know, verse one, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, well, wait a second here. In the beginning, okay, God was in the, well, wait, where'd God come from? Uh, you know, uh, okay, was the Word. So the Word was the first thing, okay, and the Word was with God. Wait, there were two in the beginning, the Word and God, and, and the Word was God. Now, wait a second here. Verse 2, and he was in the beginning with God. Okay, well, it re, that's repetitive. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, yes. how do we piece those together? In, in the reality, probably a dozen of the earliest heresies of the church of the first 400 years came about, if not indirectly, specifically trying to piece that together. Mm. Well, yes, and the church goes through many, many scriptures to unpack this passage, uh, but also... Um, you know, states very clearly that this passage is speaking about pre-existence of the Word, it's speaking about relationship of the Word with God, and it's speaking about the Word and God being of the same essence. Uh, and, and so those are the key things. And as you said, various heresies have sprung up early on in the Church, that would deny one or the other the humanity of Christ or the divinity of Christ. And again, the Church used scripture like um, other passages in, right. in 1 John that said, it. Uh, you know those who believe because they do not deny that Christ has come in the flesh. If they deny that Christ has come in the flesh, let them be anathema. Those were the docetists yeah. who said that uh, you know, Jesus... Um, was was not human. They were Gnostics, so they erred on that side. And then you had the Arians that said, well, no, he's not spiritual, he's not divine, he's merely human. So, yeah, thank God that there is a deposit in the Church to bear witness 
to that which is true, and to unpack the truth that Jesus is one divine persons, and that there are two natures within him, both human and divine, uh, coexisting there together in one person. I think the best place that sums that up for me is the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. And if anything, the Nicene Creed was, I mean, now we're picturing the fourth century, and we're, we're, we better be, thankfully, praising God for the men who were willing to take on the battles in the fourth century um, to preserve the faith right. uh, in the midst of, well, it's not always recognized, but most of those heresies during the, the third and the fourth centuries were, in a way, sola scriptura um, teachers. They were taking the Bible, and they felt that they had a better way of explaining what this passage, for example, means right. than the accepted Orthodox perspective. Right. And sometimes there were personalities got, that got in the way, which just shows you that that's why private interpretation of any passage is dangerous, because you might be leaning a certain perspective because you like somebody or don't like somebody. Right. Rather than being truly open to the guidance of the Spirit, which, as I said, we need to be very, very thankful yes. to those men who surrendered themselves to the Holy Spirit to say, all right, what, not just how do we understand this passage, but how do we understand you, Lord? Yes. I mean, that's the key here, because this is about understanding Jesus. Yes. And I, I you know, I, I love... Uh, our current Holy Father, Benedict, and he speaks about what happened to the apostles. Uh, and he says that we must understand that the apostles didn't in particular receive a new doctrine. They had encountered themselves, that Logos, that Word. They were with him in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. They encountered him, and long before... Uh, the New Testament was settled, the books that should be there, the church, the apostles were sharing. There were others that had seen the Lord and had been with the Lord, and there was already in the church, north, south, east, and west, this reality of Jesus, both human and divine. And so that deposit was there and was already being shared. And I think of another um, uh, scripture section, uh, pericope there in First John uh, where John talks about this this very thing of, uh, and it's very similar to the prologue. Let's just listen to it for a moment. What was from the beginning? This is First John one one and following. Mm -hmm. What was from the beginning? We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, we touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. For the life was made visible. We have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made visible to us. We have seen, we have heard, and we proclaim now to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, for our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing this so that our joy may be complete. So here's the Apostle now, mm -hmm. from who, the same one who gave us the prologue in John, 
given us the theology of the Logos, the divinity, the humanity of Jesus, and now it, the Logos is with skin. So he gives us the theology. But here in 1 John 1, he's saying, and some of the words in the Greek have to do with, like a doctor examines a patient, we examined him thoroughly, and we're bearing witness to you that Jesus is the Lord. He is both Lord, he is Christ, he's the eternal word made flesh. And this was the encounter of the apostles. This is what established the church. And this is what was being shared, and this is what's been defended over the years, and uh, is so beautifully articulated in the creed, the Nicene Creed, that says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, of all that's seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He's begotten and not made, so he's not created, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and was made man and became man. For our sake, he was crucified on the Pontius Pilate, suffered, died, was buried. On the third day rose again in the fulfillment of the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. And then it teaches about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So here, the Trinity is clearly outlined. The, the divinity of Jesus, the one person of Jesus, uh, both human and divine, uh, consubstantial, both within him, have been and always will be clear in the church this is the bond between true among true Christians is the holy trinity the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ in that one person of Christ the um, when i think about how this passage uh, has been misinterpreted over the centuries uh, and missed i mean if you if you look at it that way in other words that the point of it was missed which is really what happened in the heretics when when they would redefine God or or that they're really missing what's being said here and I I guess I've studied this passage myself now for boy since my own adult conversion which was in the early 70s so it's been uh, uh, 30 almost 40 years now and it wasn't until the last 10 after becoming a Catholic and reading some Catholic spirituality, especially John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and a wonderful book that I highly recommend called Hidden, uh, uh, The Fire Within by Father uh, Thomas Dubay, yes. who looks at John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and the Gospel of John. And what it helped me see is that you know, they, these great spiritual writers talk about, uh, you know, growing in union with Christ and growing deeper with Christ. Teresa of Avila, the seven castles and, and the three ways of the spiritual life and all those things. And the point is that if any of the apostles was on that plane in intimacy with Jesus, it was John. The depth of his first letter that you read the introduction to and the depth of John is at a level of intimacy with Jesus that I, I have to admit I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. I pray that by grace I will continue to grow closer to Jesus. Yes. And I think that the reason I'm saying this is I do believe that one to really hear what's being said in John 1, 
we want to encourage your audience to recognize that John is speaking from the intimacy with Jesus. He's not always talking about just the way it is with all of us. He's talking about the way it is that we are to grow towards by grace. And the reason I say that is when we look at verse 1, it is, a, it is a, a, an invitation to intimacy. Because, Jim, I know you're a holy man. And it's just you and me talking. No one's hearing us. And I know you're a holy man. And I'm trying to be. But no matter how holy you and I try to be on our own, there's still a little bit of self-focus, right? Right. And so we have to begin our journey with Jesus by recognizing that in the, begin, in the beginning wasn't me. See what I'm saying? It be, yes. The very first step is in those verse three verses in which we kind of cut through all of our self-focus to recognize that in the beginning it's him and not me. Yes. Well, that's what, yes, amen. And that's what radically transforms, you know, transforms my life and transforms the world, that we are stewards of everything, including our lives. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. He is the beginning. He is in the middle. He is our end. So that everything in our lives now is mediated through the Logos. It's mediated through Christ. Yeah, it now, expand. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Yes. <laughs> my career, my success, my wealth, my reputation. No, 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 no. It's Jesus. Mm. Right. Yes, and, and this, again, we're speaking about the Logos, which both Greek and Jew could relate to this. Mm-hmm. The Jews especially, the, the dynamic Word of God, when God speaks, it's created, it happens. We see that in Genesis. And the Logos in Greek, this sort of intellect, this wisdom uh, within the world. Um, I want to get back to what you are expressing, that, and I think it's critical that that this whole thing of intimacy with Jesus and with the Holy Trinity, because at the essence of the Trinity is relationship. And I don't think we could really understand this passage until we enter into the intimacy and relationship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in intimate communion of life and of love and of, of holiness. And, and so part of this... Christ coming to us as the Word is so that He can also take us into that divine life. It's not that we become God, but we are taken up into that divine life. Even in His resurrection, He takes humanity up with Him into heaven. And this whole... its You can't articulate it, and you articulate it as best you can, and you want to, but it's about a relationship and entering into this relationship. And finally, for me, the understanding of to some degree of the Trinity, is understanding that God in his essence is divine indeed, but he is three persons in one essence, eternally relating, and that we are relational beings. That's been broken through original sin and broken through our own sinfulness, but that as we encounter this living Logos who lives in us now through the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we partake of him in the sacraments, uh, and there is a sense in which somebody just reminded me of, of this the other day. My, my <laughs> son-in-law, Nathan, a convert, he said, "You know, Dad," he said, uh, "Jesus' flesh is still here." 
Well, I always think of Jesus as flesh in, in heaven. I mean, he's ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. But he's you no know, in, in the tabernacle. His, his flesh is there in the tabernacle. So we can all speak about what does this passage mean for this is my body, this is my blood, you know, partake of, of my flesh, partake of me. And so this has great implications. But all of this, finally, we could talk about it, theologize about it, uh, give, give uh, terms like uh, homoousios of the same essence and substance and hypostatic union of the two natures. But finally, and, and I think you know, evangelicals are particularly good at this, it seems, they understand relationship and entering into that relationship. And, and we, as Catholics in particular, need to understand about entering into that relationship day by day in the Spirit and through the sacraments. And, um, I, and I want to just add into that, that back from our, both of our backgrounds, in verse 12, where it says, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. to become mm-hmm. children of God. There's right. the relationship. And, you know, when I was an evangelical uh, Presbyterian pastor, I admitted that my emphasis was more always on the issue of salvation. Are you saved? Right. If you died tonight and God asked you why he should let you in your heaven, you know, those issues of salvation. And it's almost as if I wanted to redefine, rewrite verse 12 to say to all who received him, who believed in his name, they were saved, period, right. as if that's all that's about. Right. You know, being saved, right. when that's not what John is saying. It's about this ongoing intimacy, this relationship that we have as sons of God, which you draw attention to 1 John, is exactly what he says in 1 John chapter 3, that we become these sons of God, intimately connected with the Trinity. Right. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look through 1 John again, you know, he, he gives the tenets of what it means to be a true Christian. And he, he, this whole thing of the Word made flesh then one of the tests is, yes, that they that true Christians confess that Jesus is the Christ who's come in the flesh. They have the Spirit of God dwelling within them, but they love their neighbor. Mm. And John says, you cannot say you love God who you do not see if you do not love your brother who you do see. And so this whole thing of the eternal Word made flesh and Christ's radical solidarity mysteriously with every human being and reverencing somehow Christ mysteriously united with every human being is an ongoing practice and a proving and a conversion regarding our faith. Am I doing that in my marriage? Am I looking for the face of Christ in my wife, in my kids, uh, in the school, wherever I go, in friends and in enemies? That's a true test of faith and an ongoing conversion, a real experience of intimacy with Jesus in the other or a negation of my faith. Jim, let's take another break. When we come back, we've discussed um, the best we could, some really yeah. deep stuff, right? I yeah. mean, and this right. is, uh, in many ways, that's why the the early theologians and bishops of the church had to use words like homoousius yes. and trying to define clearly because the, the, the beauty, the gift of the church defining uh, how to understand the Trinity allows us then the freedom to worship without being always focused on trying to understand it and explain it, caught up in the battles. No, the church has set the boundaries so that we can be at peace. Yes. That's the beauty of theology. Yes. That's the beauty of the church. We're not mindless. 
No, but in those areas that are beyond our ability to understand, how is it that Jesus was with God and also God? Well, to, rather than spending our mental energy fighting that conundrum, the church sets the boundaries so that we can then be in intimacy with him. Yeah. When we come back, though, in the closing moments of our program, I want you to talk to our audience, with our audience, about, okay, how can I, given the verses in First John, uh, in the first chapter of John, as well as First John, grow in this intimacy? Where do I start? How do I start? What's John trying to tell me in these passages? Not just about Jesus, but about my relationship with him. We'll discuss that when we come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined this evening by Jim Pinto. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined this evening by Jim Pinto. You're hearing this over EWTN. Jim, as I think about uh, opening the door to uh, focusing on this, I want to just read another verse just as an introduction uh, that I think connects both with the introduction of John Mm -hmm. and the introduction of 1 John. I'd like to read a verse from the second chapter of 1 John, verse 24, 25, in which the apostle who's written these same things says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Mm-hmm. Talk to our audience about how do we abide in Jesus. Well, that word abide uh, really has a, a double meaning. Uh, to abide has, in one sense, uh, to stand firm, to let your uh, roots go very, very deep. And so through the Holy Scriptures and what they teach, through the teaching, sacred tradition of the Church, as you said, we have the boundaries, there are deep roots, we need to know our faith intellectually and embrace it, stand firm. The other sense of abiding is rest. So it's rest, like your head on a pillow. It has both of those meanings, standing firm, down deep, I'm not going to move no matter how hard the winds blow, and then in the other sense, there are times where you just need to rest. Rest yourself in the Lord. Be confident in His Word. So, um, which which I will say is uh, demonstrated by Jesus in the boat in the midst of the storm, because of His firmness of knowing who He was and and being con- uh, confident and trusting in uh, God and in, the, in, in, yeah. in His own powers, He could rest in the boat. The disciples were on the journey still. Yes, and and there's no substitute. For that, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, if, if we've got to enter into prayer, I think just simply reading verses 1 through 14, I would encourage our listeners uh, to get alone and to read this passage through three or four times alone and just meditate upon it like chewing the cuds, kind of like a, a cow that regurgitates its food seven times through numerous stomachs and just, just love the Word of God, be confident in the Word of God. And then, I, you know, I, I've written a prayer in relationship to this whole idea of God made flesh, God with a face. And I, I pray this prayer each day, and my wife and I pray it. And I'd like to just say the prayer mm-hmm. now. Okay. Uh, and it's one of the ways to really practice uh, this, uh, to, to live a sacramental and incarnational lifestyle. The prayer goes like this. Heavenly Father, I embrace your grace this day so that I might not think of another, speak to another, or touch another, Without first looking for your face in the other, I ask all this through Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God with skin, God made poor, God with a face. Amen. So I think if we make a commitment every day not to look at ourselves or anybody else, except through the mediation of Christ, except for looking for the presence of Christ, because Christ is in radical solidarity with every human being. He became a human being. He became just like us. And one day we will see him face to face. We will not see a spirit, Jesus. We will see that one who walked the face of the earth glorified, resurrected. We can see him if we look for him in others, and we can partake of him, in particular, in the sacrament of Holy Eucharist. We can experience, to some degree, that word made flesh again. This is a faith that leaves us in awe, in uh, you know, breathless, and it really gets to the place, as you said, there are boundaries, there's some clear teaching, but it really has to do with entering into love. And you get to that place in love where words are just totally inadequate, and you just contemplate, and you're there. And, and God has a unique place for everyone who's listening to us tonight, for you to just be there with Him, to enter into this intimate relationship, communion of life and love. In verse 12, it just simply says, To all who received Him, who believed in His name. I mean, that's where we begin. We, we open to Him, that he, we can receive Him, and we believe him in his name, in his power, in who he is, in his authority, and all that the church teaches about him. That's where we begin. And as you've said, Jim, with that prayer, it really is recognizing that our love for God must be demonstrated in our love for others. I mean, that's how we imitate Jesus. Jim, thanks for joining us tonight and sharing so much. Thank you so much, my brother. It's been deep in Scripture. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I encourage all of you to go to the Deep in Scripture website where you can link to Jim's Priest for Life's Life website. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. God bless you. Look forward to being with you again next week.